message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. For those of you who haven't met me before, I'm a retired Air Force chaplain. I was in the military for, um, in one form or another for a little more than 25 years. Um, PCA teaching elder. Right now, I do a, a bit of counseling as well. My wife, Kim, you've seen more. Um, I'm convinced they kept me around the military because of her musical ability. Um, much more talented than I am in, uh, in that way. She's also a chemistry teacher, for those of you um, who didn't know that. If uh, any of the high school kids need help with chemistry, I'm sure she'll help you out. Um, it's, a good, it's a good thing to, uh, to know. We've got three kids uh, Jonathan and Ryan are both at uh, Texas A&M. Jonathan's about to graduate. And uh, we've got Daniel, who's in high school and uh, should be applying to college, right? Doing his applications and uh, deciding where he's, uh, he's going to go. We've been here since uh, February of, of uh, 2020 and in San Antonio um, since 2014. Um, I'm originally from Ohio, uh, grew up in Ohio and Germany. Kim's from Pennsylvania and Tennessee. You wouldn't guess that uh, she lived in Tennessee because she lost that accent completely. Um, like Michael, I also went to, uh, to Covenant Seminary and uh, really enjoyed that, uh, that time. But today, unlike what he said, he said we're going to be looking at, at uh, the life of Jesus, not today. Today, we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist, who talked about Jesus's coming. And uh, we're not starting with, uh, with Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in Luke chapter 3, uh, because it's kind of weird to have Christmas in September. So we'll get back to 1 and 2, um, you know, at, at the right time of year when we're, thinking, uh, when we're thinking about Christmas. So if you would please open up your Bibles or, uh, or your Bible apps to um, Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to read for us uh, the whole passage right now uh, from, chap- from verse 1 through verse 20. So if you would please pay attention to the word of the Lord in Luke 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, not that Abilene, um, Abilene over there, during the high priesthood of Ananias, and, of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, uh, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, well, what, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. 
Soldiers also asked them, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, because you are our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, one of the things uh, that, uh, that I've often had to do is wait for, uh, wait for somebody to show up. And uh, it could have been a, uh, a visitor that was coming to one of our bases that uh, I, had, I had to escort. It could have been uh, maybe going to a, a USO show when we were overseas. I couldn't tell you how many times I, when I was stationed in Korea, I stood at the edge of our helipad and uh, waited for somebody to show up because it was my turn to, uh, to escort them. Usually, um, it was some, some type of uh, a religious leader from somewhere, and they were like, oh, the chaplain can, uh, can do that this time. But occasionally, we'd have so many visitors that I'd get assigned somebody random. It was always interesting, though, when they would show up. You know, we'd have to get there a little early. Okay, in military terms, a little early might mean an hour early. Um, and just stand and hang out. And so usually I'd, have, uh, I'd bring somebody along, one of my chaplain assistants or someone to, uh, to wait with me. We'd, we'd have a great time talking. We'd, uh, we'd sit down, wait in the grass. Um, we'd look at the clouds, all kind of whatever, you know, whatever would pass the time. But then, uh, then finally the helicopter would show up and uh, somebody would get off and, uh, and we'd be able to get on with our, uh, with our visit. There was a lot of sitting around and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. So today, that, that waiting is what, uh, what we're starting to, uh, to talk about. The people were waiting for Jesus, and John was the messenger that was going to bring that waiting to an end. Today, we're going to talk about John and his message, who he was, and what did he say. You know, oftentimes, Michael tells, us, tells the kids and, and others a couple things to listen for, so uh, I'll do the same. Some things that, uh, that you want to pay attention and see if you can find are how were John and Jesus related? Where might John live if he were here in San Antonio? And also listen for a story about the Grinch, because that will become important later on. But before we look at who John is, let's take a look at the opening lines of this chapter. We're given kind of a, uh, a list of people who were rulers at the time and what they were doing. Why does Luke do this? Well, it mirrors the beginning of his gospel, where he tells us uh, when all of this was happening. Luke is very concerned with the historical um, perspective, the historical reality 
of Jesus and what is happening. So as he talks about John, he wants to say, this is something that really happened, and this is when it really happened. And that's a, uh, that's a great thing. It's a historical fact, because Luke is concerned with facts. So who is John? What was his work, and what was his vision or focus? Well, we're going to take a look today um, at, his, uh, at the fact that he was a messenger, a messenger of promise. We're going to look at his ministry of promise and also his message of promise. So he's a messenger, his ministry, and his message. So first, who was John? We know that John was a prophet, and he wasn't just uh, any old prophet. He was kind of a, a rough-and-tumble guy. A lot of the prophets we remember from the Old Testament lived out in the woods in the wilderness, and uh, others didn't. John was definitely out there. He was a rough guy in a natural setting. If you can imagine, his clothes were, were woven from, uh, from cheap, uh, available material, a belt that reminds us of Elijah. He ate foraged food. He didn't really go to the uh, to HEB to buy, uh, buy his dinner or anything. He, he just ate what was around. Really the stuff of poor, poor d- desert dwellers, things that normal people did not eat. A contemporary uh, historian of the time, Josephus, said that, uh, that he used no other clothing that, other than which, that which grew up on trees and had no other food than what grew of its own accord. And he bathed himself in cold water both day and night to purify himself. Now, if you can imagine this, think about a, uh, a guy who's way out there. So for us, you know, he's living out in Government Canyon, past the dinosaur tracks, kind of way out there. And uh, the thing is that there were people that were thronging to see him. So if, again, if you can imagine that, there's just traffic jams headed into uh, to the Government Canyon natural area. The parking lots are over full. The rangers are telling people not to park on the grass. The, uh, they're trying to fend people off during the week because they're still trying to stay closed, you know, Monday through Thursday like they, uh, like they do. Um, but the crowds keep going back there. They're all hiking back there looking to see him. Um, He doesn't even have a camp, this guy that's living back there, foraging for food. Um, People aren't really, some people aren't happy about it. Others are excited to hear his message. That kind of gives us a little perspective about where John was. He was close enough to to where the majority of people lived that they knew about him and that they could get there. He wasn't like, you know, hundreds of miles out in the desert of Arabia. He was near the Jordan River. And his role as a prophet is to fulfill what Isaiah, um, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 40. He's the voice of the one crying out in the desert, make the way smooth. Every time I hear about uh, that phrase, I always think about, I grew up in Germany and learned to drive on the, uh, the German highways. We were stationed there before we came here to San Antonio. And I think of the German highways where um, they really don't believe in having the road go down into the valley and back up again. Uh, they just build a bridge all the way across the valley. So again, think about I-10 going out toward Kerrville, all those hills. Just think about it being flat with bridges across the valleys, and uh, you know, you're able to, uh, to maintain your uh, very comfortable uh, rate of German speed in your very well-engineered car very nicely. That's what I think about when they're making the way smooth. No valleys, nothing. It's all filled in and a nice, flat, um, wonderful, wonderful road. Um, amazing. This, uh, this idea of the voice crying out in the desert, though, 
is uh, really an idea from the Exodus as well, that, um, that the people didn't follow their usual route. They didn't walk through um, you know, the normal route of leaving uh, Egypt. No, they went God's route. They went through the desert, through the Red Sea, and the Lord led the way. We have to remember that God's way is often about the path, not necessarily the destination. He cares more about how we get somewhere than, uh, than us really getting there many times. We learn more on the way than we do when we get there. Well, not only John, did John tell them uh, who was coming, but he prepared them through baptism. He prepared them by baptizing them. His message was what was important, and he took uh, great pains to emphasize the message, not himself as the messenger. He said that all flesh will see the salvation of God, and, and uh, that is a great result. And oh yeah, he was also Jesus' cousin. And I'm not sure how many people realized that as they came out to, uh, to see him. I'm sure some did. But uh, for us to know, he was, uh, he was Jesus' cousin. So people went out to him, a uh, nice long, you know, 12, 15 mile, whatever hike in the, uh, in the desert, the remote agricultural areas. And they wanted to hear what he said. He didn't have, this message wasn't put on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook for, uh, for, the, for the older people there. But his message was uh, delivered every day. He would talk about the same thing. And they were excited to hear it. We have it written here in, uh, in chapter 3 like it's a one-time thing. But as we read through and dig into the passage, we see it's something that he did over and over. That daily he was baptizing uh, people out in the desert. He was a charismatic uh, guy. And that's why people wanted to hear what he had to say. Well, how do we relate to that? How do we relate with John or with the crowds who came out to see him? Do we cry out that Jesus is coming? Not necessarily always uh, by standing on the corner with a placard, but do we cry out with our life and with our actions that, uh, that Jesus is coming? Do we cry out uh, in our relationships that Jesus is coming? Do we live a humble life like God, or do we sometimes want everything right now? Where is your treasure? Sometimes we think of our treasure as being what we have, but is your treasure in God? Does your treasure rest in your relationship with Jesus? Are you accessible and ready to serve day in and day out? John was serving God in everything that he did. He painted a picture of Jesus who came to give, uh, give the people life. Not necessarily a pleasant picture for some. He called them a brood of vipers. We'll get to that. Um, but he told them about who Christ was. He cried out with God's message and not his own. And do you get people to focus on that message? Or, um, or are you more about them focusing on you as you talk about, uh, as you talk about Christ? Well, his ministry, John's ministry, was a ministry of promise. He was, uh, it was included in his name, John the Baptist, and his ministry of baptism in the desert. And he did it enough that he got this nickname. We might say, uh, we might, baptism is a, a word that comes from, uh, from Greek, but we might call him John the Dipper. 
And uh, that's kind of the, uh, the perspective I think that people then heard when they heard the bap- that he was the Baptist, that he was just dipping people in water all of the time. The most important thing to him, again, was that his message was what was important, not him as the messenger. It wasn't the baptism that saved people, but he talked about, the minist- he talked about repentance, that baptism and repentance were were linked. It was a condition of their hearts that mattered. Baptism was the sign of cleansing that he gave them. His message uh, to repent was the same message that prophets throughout the years had been preaching. Uh, but this baptism, this cleansing in the river, was, uh, was different. And people, it was different enough that people asked, is this the Christ or who is this guy? And he told them, he's like, you know, I'm going to baptize you with water, but Jesus is coming. His baptism is going to be even more powerful with fire and with the Holy Spirit. Well, this message of repentance is, uh, is key to John's ministry. His call for metania or, uh, or repentance connects John with those great prophets. They call people back from alienation. They call people back from their rebellion against uh, against God. They called people to God's will to trust him unreservedly and to turn away from everything that's unworthy of God. The prophets made their appeal for repentance in relation to the historical judgments that, uh, of God in the political sphere or the disasters that, that would happen. For John, the urgency of his appeal and the absoluteness of his claim is determined not by the political situation or, or some disaster that happened, but by the, by the eschatological setting, that Christ is coming. He's telling the people to change their mind, to turn around, the same wilderness concept from the Old Testament, to turn around and, uh, and head in the right direction in their lives. Why? Because the kingdom is here in your life, he's saying. It's a rule in your life. It's not in a geographic area. God wants to rule their hearts, not necessarily a piece of, uh, of land. Changed hearts will equal a changed world. You know, I think of changed hearts, I often think of the Grinch because um, the Grinch had a spiritual problem. And his problem is that he needed a new heart because his heart was two sizes too small. Or as the song said, he has garlic in his soul, his heart is full of unwashed socks, his soul is full of gunk. But in a great turn of events, the Grinch's heart does grow, literally, as he realizes that his nefarious, no-good dealings didn't ruin Christmas. The citizens of Whoville were celebrating and, uh, and coming together in this show of goodwill. And so in that moment, he changes his heart, he changes his mind when it comes to Christmas. And he, wind, he winds up redeeming himself by returning all the gifts and joining in the, in the uh, festivities. In, this, uh, in the book about the Grinch, it's never too late to change your ways. So what do we do? How do we have a changed heart? How do we grow our heart if it might be a couple sizes too small? Well, the first thing we do is confess. We confess each week here at church, but we confess in our own lives as well. We surrender our hearts to God. John says to be baptized as well. We see that uh, on and off uh, here as uh, children and adults are baptized. 
And to me, it brings to mind the, uh, the Exodus. The nation of Israel left Egypt through the Red Sea. They went on to the promised land. John says to leave our old ways and uh, go through the Jordan, um, go through that baptism and enter into Christ. And that ha- both of those happened in the wilderness. In our lives, we leave our old ways too, and we enter into, uh, into Christ. We tell God how we've offended him, and um, we ask for his help in our lives. We have to answer that question for ourselves. Why do we need God in our lives? And just like John's saying, be ready. Christ is coming. He's coming right now. This is not fake news. Christ is coming. And John is announcing that to the people and to us. Have you confessed and, uh, and repented of how you offend God daily in your life? Have you asked his forgiveness and changed direction in your lives? Is there an area of your life where you need to do that now? This repentance is not a one-time thing. It's something that happens over and over again. And as we repent, people see that change in our lives. People see us going from, uh, from one direction to another. What message do you have when you do that? Is your message one you communicate out of that repentance? Do others see that change in your life? One of the ways to, uh, to think about that is to take a step back, to look at your, uh, to look at your life and, uh, as you're watching a movie and say, what do others see about me? Oftentimes we get wrapped up in ourselves and we can't take that step back to see what's going on in our own lives and ask, what do others see? Well, John, uh, John is also a messenger of promise. He, um, he gives a pretty good summary uh, of everything that's, uh, that's going on, what's going to happen. He's out in the, uh, the wilderness for a while. But think about this. He leads with the, uh, with the statement, you brood of vipers, when he's preaching to the people. That's uh, not necessarily your classic opening for a, uh, a, a sermon or a speech where you're trying to get people to listen. We want to draw them in and, and have people you know, pay attention to us. And what's John do? He pretty much insults them right away and says, hey, you're, you guys are a pile of rattlesnakes. What are you, uh, what are you doing here? You're not really, uh, you're not really the, uh, the best people at all. He says that they have to repent and bear fruit of that repentance. He tells them also that they can't rest on their laurels. They can't rest on their ancestry. They can't even rest on the baptism. They can't rest on anything they do. They have to show that they've, uh, that they've repented. And it's a natural thing to do once that repentance happens. He gives us some examples as well about repentance. He tells everyone that they need to share what they have, to share their belongings. I read this and I think of, uh, of, the, of being a kid and parents, my parents telling me to share toys with my brothers, which was difficult to do. I'm the oldest one and they were all my toys as far as I was concerned. Sometimes they still are all my toys and I don't want to share them, but you know, we, we, learned, to, uh, we learned to do that. Is what you have yours? Is it really your, uh, are they really your belongings? Or are they God's belongings and uh, you just get to, uh, to use them? He says to share, share their clothes with each other, with someone who needs them. 
We need to share our food, share everything we have with those around us. Then he talks to the tax collectors, talks to them about ethical work performance. They were to get rid of the widespread corruption. You know, sure, we hate taxes. We're, uh, we're not, you know, nobody's ever fond of, of paying taxes or anything like that. But uh, what they were doing was outright thievery, stealing money from people, putting it into their own pockets. It's very difficult to, uh, to do business in a, corrupt, in a corrupt location in a non-corrupt way because everybody's expecting that corruptness. We take our lives and uh, we have to show the, that ethics, uh, the ethical and honest behavior in everything we do, not only in our work, but our relationships and everything else. He talks to the soldiers too and tells them, to, uh, to be truthful and content. And uh, that's a difficult thing to do. Likely, these people he were talking to could have been some paramilitary-type police working with the tax collectors. That sounds much more uh, important than they probably looked. But uh, really, any soldiers. And of course, having been in the military, those of you who have been in the military know that, uh, that complaining is like breathing. It's continuous and, I think, eternal. You know, we would always joke that when, uh, when the airmen or soldiers stopped complaining, that something was definitely wrong. I mean, we, people would complain about the food. I just saw an article the other day, is this prison or the dining facility on base? And they couldn't tell the difference. Um, their pay, all over the world, soldiers complain about their pay, happened in the time of John, mold in their homes and barracks, living conditions anywhere. Sometimes they complain about their medical care. They complain about their equipment, Remembering that military-grade equipment means it's from the lowest bidder and may not necessarily work the best. Um, you know, and I was, I was wondering how the truck that I drove as a, uh, as a chaplain, you know, got an award for being the most maintained truck. It went a thousand miles without having a problem. I mean, I would die if my current truck, my Tundra, went a, only went a thousand miles every, before it had a problem every time. My, my Humvee went a thousand miles and then all the belts fell off. Um, and I'm like, how does this happen? What is going on here? But um, John tells the soldiers to, uh, to be content. It's a big order. It's the same as today, that, uh, that we are challenged to show the fruits of repentance in our lives so that others see them. We just can't do those good things because that's not repenting. Repenting is a changed heart, and from the changed heart come changed actions that others see. We all have different things that, uh, that we need to repent of and different ways of showing those fruits. Luke tells us those three examples that John used, but there are really as many examples out there as there are people in the world because we just need to repent, have a changed heart, and that equals changed actions. Why all this? Um, because Christ is coming. People thought John was the Christ, and he answers them, no, I'm not, but Jesus is coming. We also can see that John spoke out against some of the evils in the world. He became a prisoner. We don't often think of John as the prisoner. We think of him as the messenger. But right after this, uh, the last uh, couple verses in our passage tell us that he was thrown in prison. He called out Herod's marital situation, and he called out, called out all sorts of evil things. That, uh, that Herod and the government did. And what, did it, what happened? It got him arrested and then thrown in jail. 
So Jesus is coming on the picture. His, cousin's, his cousin is thrown in jail. People, uh, people knew that. He was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. But all of that we'll talk about another day, a couple, a couple chapters uh, from now. So what's the response? What's the response to, uh, to John? John was the prophet saying that Jesus is coming. He was a baptizer. He was saying, be ready, repent now and be baptized because this is really happening. And he was a preacher that continued to share that message of repentance. You know, when I was sitting, uh, sitting waiting for folks to, uh, to come uh, visit us in, uh, at my base in uh, Korea, it was often worth it because I remember meeting some amazing uh, entertainers, politicians, leaders, Leader, uh, religious leaders, uh, except one time the commanding general came for Thanksgiving. My brothers happened to be there, and my whole life and career quickly flashed through my eyes because I didn't want my brothers telling this general about what was really, you know, about who I really was. I figured they would share some, uh, some made up stories or something. But all of that waiting, all of that waiting, um, and then great times visiting and getting to know some amazing people. Have you met Jesus? He came, uh, and he will come again. I know that most of us have met him, but have you really met him every day? And are you repenting every day? I mean, really repenting. Are you willing to do anything for the coming Messiah? Are you anticipating his coming just as John did? Because he is still coming. If you want to learn more about that coming or repenting in your life, um, please grab Michael or me or uh, one of the elders, someone you've seen up here today, and we can help you with, uh, help you learn about that life of repentance. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for John. We thank you for uh, the way that he baptized people and, uh, and took care of their needs. We ask that you would help us to, uh, to find the things to repent of in our life as well. Lord, show us your grace and your mercy as you forgive us everything, um, as you forgive us our sins and show us your love as we bear the fruits of repentance around us. We thank you for your word. In your name we pray, amen.